Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Julie Douglas. We are back in Atlanta after a little little side trip before we went on up to Minnesota. Yes, indeed. We presented at the E4 Elementary Education Conference, and it was awesome. It was. There's just infectious energy, a lot of enthusiasm from the uh, teachers present, uh, all, you know, just really gung ho about science, about teaching, about engineering and mathematics. And we gave our spiel about, uh, about how we're all scientists just from the get go. We crawl out of the womb. Well, I don't guess we, we don't crawl out of the womb, but we're. Be a lot ripped more convenient for, for women if yeah. that were the case. We're ripped from the womb with um, um, ripped is a little strong. Yeah, you are coerced, coerced from the wound, I mm-hmm. guess, from the womb with math, with engineering and science already born into you. And uh, we've discussed this on the podcast, and we we shared it with everyone there, and it was just a grand time. So we may have some new listeners now who were present uh, at our uh, speech. And so if, if uh, any of you teachers are tuning in, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, and actually I have a little tidbit that relates not just to um, the, the education conference, but also to our topic today here about laughter. Because okay. I couldn't help but giggle and titter later on when I, when I remembered us rehearsing our keynote speech in front of a giant uh, Lucy character oh, from Peanuts. Yes, we a giant the, sculpture of her. We, they were all over the hotel, and we got there the night before, so it's like Sunday evening, and uh, we we just want to rehearse the material a few more times. So, but we need an audience, right? But not a living audience because they have better things to do on a Sunday night. Uh, so we found uh, ourselves this giant Lucy idol, I guess you would call it. Yeah, and with uh, a giant plate of cake. Yeah, I think it had something because we also found a candy store down the road that had some peanuts characters out front. Yes. With candy. So yeah. I guess they were related somehow. And looking back, just the two of us in front of this giant sculpture gesturing to Lucy and mm-hmm. giving the keynote just made me laugh. Um, but, of course, if if I had remembered this, um, this, this memory with other people with you, mm-hmm. turns out I would have laughed a lot more. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. We've, we've talked about humor before, and we talked a little bit about laughter. This episode is all about the healing power of laughter, uh, which is... It's become something of a of a cliche in, over the past few decades. You have, of course, like Patch Adams. Uh, you have uh, you're shaking your head. Oh, um, yeah, Patch yeah. Adams. You have. Uh, you have, have you the, seen it? I have not. Okay, but I have seen um, Children's Hospital, the um, Adult Swim show, where they have a character on there played by Rob Corddry. He plays Doctor Blake Downs, mm-hmm. who is a healing clown. But the funny part of this is that he takes the healing power of laughter deadly seriously. Like he's he's wearing clown makeup that kind of kind of looks like John Wayne Gacy esque, you know, like yeah. that kind of slightly scary clown makeup. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not really he never does much in the way that of actual humor for the sick. Like he's he's just very he's serious very intense. about it. Yeah, very intense. See, I could get behind that the intense clown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> intense clown. <laughs> but yeah, like I say, it's become something of a of a cliche for all of us. But you go back to around the nineteen seventy in the nineteen seventies, you had a guy by the name of Norman Cousins. And he was a writer and magazine editor uh, for the Saturday Review. And he was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. <laughs> and at the time, the th- a theory was making the rounds that stress could worsen such a condition. Mm-hmm. So he asked himself, well, wh- what about the- what if I use the opposite of stress? So he thought about humor. So he goes to his doctor, and uh, he gets his doctor's okay, and then prescribes himself 
a regime of humorous videos uh, of shows like Candid Camera, which was, I guess, was big in the 70s at, at the time. He's going to take these videos, he's going to watch them along with his other treatments. And the disease went into remission, mm-hmm. and Cousins wrote a paper for the New England Journal of Medicine, as well as a book titled Anatomy of an Illness, A Patient's Perspective. And that was published in 1979. became a bestseller, and uh, it led to a lot of actual researchers looking into the matter. Most notably, you had this guy Lee Burke, a preventative care specialist from Loma Linda University in Loma Linda, California. And then also from Loma Linda, you had Stanley Tan, who uh, was an MD, PhD, and a, uh, a diabetes specialist. So they were curious, does mirthful laughter help individuals with diabetes? And so short version of this is they took a group of 20 high-risk diabetic patients. They had a group C, which was control, and they had group L, which was laughter. So 12 months later, they found significant improvement in group L. Uh, HDL cholesterol, that's good cholesterol, had Mm -hmm. risen by 26% in group L, the laughter group, and only 3% in group C, the control group. Harmful uh, C-reactive proteins decreased 66% in the laughter group versus 26% in the control group. So this was a big study that actually pushed the idea uh, even more that laughter is may- maybe there's something to laughter, that laughter it can actually heal us in some way, shape, or form. So that's what we're talking about in this episode, but we need to backtrack a little and say, all right, what is laughter? Before we start prescribing it willy-nilly, what's going on when we laugh? Well, okay, one of the things I wanted to point out is that you can tell that it's central and very important to us when you look across species and you see that other species do it. Right. You know, we know that chimps do it. We know that if tickled, rats will giggle. There's an actual study on this. And uh, from a new article on how stuff works called 10 Surprising Behaviors in Non-Human Animals by Kate Kirshner, we know that gorillas also engage in antics um, and laughter. In fact, she gives this example of a gorilla that got his kicks by running beside his trainer along the length of his cage at full speed. And then the gorilla would suddenly stop and start laughing uncontrollably as the human kept running past him. And she said it was great because the gorilla figured out a stupid human trick. So chimps, gorillas, rats, they're all laughing at us. They're all laughing at us. But what happens when we are laughing? What's going on in our own bodies? Because this is great. We can look at the chimps and we can look at rats and we can see them giggling. But we can, of course, turn turn the focus to ourselves and say, you know, just at a mechanical level, what's happening to spur on all of these different chemical changes in our body? Well, the thing about laughter, like true laughter, like hearty laughter, not mm-hmm. just a little snicker or or, uh, or what have you, but full laughter is a is it's a full body experience. Like your face is moving a lot, your jaw is moving, mm-hmm. but also your torso, uh, even your arms and legs, your trunk muscles, everything's getting in on the joke. Um, Fifteen facial muscles contract, and you also have stimulation of the zygomatic major muscles. These are the the main lifting mechanisms of your upper lift mm-hmm. lip. And then you also have the the respiratory system is getting in on the action. You have uh, half-closing of the larynx, uh, so air intake occurs irregularly, making you gasp. And in extreme circumstances, what happens? Something's just extremely funny. You start crying with laughter. Yeah. Yeah. And and you might might pee a little. I've heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, on 30 Rock, Liz Lemon calls it lizzing, where if you, uh, (laughs) you, you laugh so hard that you start peeing yourself. I... Have you ever done this? Have you ever laughed so hard that you... No. You have? Okay. Really? And I would admit to it, you but no, I... Because, you know, I have no problem with that, but no, I have not. My wife uh, sometimes will be watching something, and she'll, she'll warn that, that she's about to pee herself if if she laughs any harder, or more if I was to, say, say like, come over and tickle her while she was laughing, then 
she might pee. That's that's the warning. I don't know. It may be a false threat. I've never pushed <laughs> pushed uh, pushed her on that one. I have made friends do it though. Yeah. And they'll be like, stop, stop. And I can't help and myself because I see, yeah, because they start crossing their legs. I'm <laughs> just go in for the kill. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- that's extreme circumstances for yes. sure. Um, also, your mouth is opening and closing. And so there's still that struggle for oxygen. Mm-hmm. And of course, your face becomes moist and, you know, flushed. Yeah. I mean, it's a great feeling. Like, I, I watch a lot of humorous content. I-, I imagine you do as well. You like funny things, correct? Yes, it's yeah, true. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I still find myself. It's rare that I I watch something where it just completely overtakes me, where it's like you're you're possessed by a demon for a good minute or two, and it's just you just can't control yourself. And it's it, it's I'm overstating the obvious here, but it's a wonderful feeling because it's it's like you, you're no longer in control of your your body or your senses in the most delightful way possible. It is great, and it's kind of funny too because you're psychologically when you're watching something like that, mm-hmm. you start to feel that rise, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah." It's like a roller coaster. It's like I'm riding some a wave, and I'm not completely in control, but I'm loving it. So, okay, let's break down the actual sonic structure of what a laugh sounds like. And before we do it, let's listen to a clip of what I think is a great full-bodied laugh. <laughs> Well, that's that's a full body laugh. In the actual video of it, the YouTube, the individual's laughing really hard, and he's kind of an older gentleman, uh, to the point where you're. And he's got a bunch of beer bottles behind him. Yeah, (laughs) but you're a little concerned. You're like, "Whoa, you're laughing a little hard, Grandpa. You need to slow it down." But it's just, I love it because it's such a joyful laugh, Mm -hmm. and it's just. the structure of it just builds, and you can just tell that this guy is having so much fun. And it really is infectious. In fact, I think if you watch it, you probably are a little bit more invested in it that rather than just hearing it. But even just hearing it, you can't help but smile to yourself a little bit. Uh, so let's talk about the sonic structure. Yes. Laughter researcher Robert Provine discovered that all human laughter consists of variations on a basic form that consists of short vowel-like notes repeated what he says is every 210 milliseconds. So, so I didn't time it in that clip. <laughs> the first part of that, though, is the expert weighed in and said, when we laugh, we tend to go ha-ha or ho-ho. That's right. He said there's one of two. It's either ha-ha-ha or ho-ho-ho. I'm glad we have scientists on these. <laughs> I know. Right? I wonder if that was ignoble. And I think that clip that we played is definitely representative of the more like ha-ha-ha Now, how about he-he-he? Or do, is that... Is that a myth? Does anyone actually? I've, I've never really heard, unless like they were intentionally saying, <laughs> yeah, you know. I guess it's more like a wood sprite kind of a thing. Yeah, I yeah. know. It's, I don't think it's something that would come natural to you when you're laughing, like mm-hmm. full on body laughing. Yeah, because full on body laughing, it, I mean, it, it reaches the point of borderline disgusting at times. Like where I feel like he 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 is maybe a, more of a, a social laughter, which we'll get into in a little bit but more of a, look at me, I am laughing, and I am a wood sprite, as opposed to, <laughs> I'm laughing so hard that urine is yeah, flooding I'm through my pants covered and in snot my is fluids. coming out of my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Provine also suggests that humans have a detector that responds to laughter by triggering other neural circuits in the brain, which in turn generates even more laughter, and that's just one explanation for why laughter is contagious. We'll talk a little bit yes. more about that. But here's the question. Why, why do we laugh in the first place? Why even do it? Well, this is a valid question. We've touched on this a little bit when we've discussed humor in the past. Because on a very basic level, 
you can say that laughter is a response to humor. Or, but, but then that's a tricky answer, too, because then you, then you get into the question, well, what is humor? What makes something humorous? Mm-hmm. One thing that we've discussed in the past is the, is the benign violation theory. Yeah. Just a quick run through of this. This is the idea that uh, you encounter, um, oh, back on the primordial wilds or when you go to a haunted house, a haunted attraction in, in the modern uh, day. You're, something jumps out at you, scares the living daylights out of you, mm-hmm. and for a second you think you're going to die. Then you realize you're not. Because it wasn't a saber-toothed tiger. It was your cousin, Ugg, uh, deciding to have some fun with you. Or it was just some Ugg. dude. Ugg, yeah, cousin mm-hmm. Ugg. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's quite the trickster. Uh, or it's uh, or it's some, some person in a ghoul mask at the haunted attraction. You realize you're not going to die, and the body's response then is to laugh, which arguably, and according to this theory, is then a, a cue, a social cue to those around you to say, we are not actually going to die. Please disregard that blood-curdling scream that I issued earlier. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that at the at the basis of this is really stress, right? right? Because it is a release. And you talked about the social implications of it. Um, some people say that laughter may even serve as a conciliatory gesture at times when things get very stressful. Yes. Um, um, that there's a way to deflect anger. Uh, it's interesting. I found a 2010 North Carolina State University study that looked at the role laughter plays in jury uh, deliberations. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the case they studied was a capital murder case. So it was, uh, it wasn't like they just, they decided, oh, it's like a grandma was arrested for jaywalking and, you mm-hmm. know, or something more mundane. It was a life and death scenario. And they, they, they made some interesting uh, observations about how humor among the jurors had helped to, to release the tension. And it also allowed them to acknowledge when they'd made errors and then they could correct them. Because, you know, a lot of you just sort of laugh off your mistakes. Which, uh, as we've all, I, I hope we've all encountered that. You know, when, when something gets a little stressful at work, maybe you screwed something up, you can stick to your guns and let your ego command it and refuse to back down. Or you can sort of laugh it off and everyone forgets. You like know? whenever I uh, pronounce Michael Carton as Michael Crichton and you just laugh at me. Do I? Yeah, you kind of do. Oh, well. It's a laugh mark. I appreciate it. Because <laughs> then I'm like, oh, God, there goes that tick again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, laughter occurs when people are comfortable with one another. We found mm-hmm. this out. And uh, cultural anthropologist Mahadev Apte says that, um, you know, when you feel open and free and comfortable, the more you laugh. The more you laugh, the more you bond within a group. And yeah. this is really important because there's this other desire to not be outside of the group. And so you want to participate and and laugh. And we've talked about this before within this social contract that we're always signing, um, that we're, we are kind of hardwired to cooperate with one another anyway because it's to our benefit. So what happens is you have a feedback loop of bonding and laughing going on. Well, it's interesting you mentioned individuals on the outside because you also get into that uh, – that, uh idea when you look at the theory of, of what humor is and how it works. The mm-hmm. idea that all laughter then has to do with, well, put it this way, in, in, with any given joke, you could argue that you're either on the inside or on the outside of that joke. Mm-hmm. Which side are you standing on? Are you on the side holding the hose or on the side getting hosed down by the humor? Uh, and then you can argue that, that humor is about maintaining that barrier between self and otherness, between normal and uh, strange. Um, I mean, it, you can really run wild with it. I was having a conversation uh, with with my friend Matt the other day, and he was he was making the argument that all racial humor is intrinsically racist. I don't know. I leave that to everyone else to think about. But 
but uh, but but certainly you get into some some tricky moral areas. But it's why you see comedian after comedian get into hot water because they end up joking about a topic that someone else takes too seriously. Because there's yeah. a certain amount there is a certain amount of meanness to a, to a lot, if not most, humor. You know, I thought about that uh, with Peter Segel because I was listening to him. Um, wait, wait, don't tell me the other day. Yes, a cruel. He's, no, he's not. He's not really there cruel. Ever was one. He's not cruel, <laughs> but he's he's very funny most of the time. But this guy will just he'll just kind of throw whatever out there sometimes, and yeah. I admire that because it doesn't always stick. And I have actually heard the audience boo him before. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, um, because he didn't play with the audience. The audience yeah. was a little bit offended. Uh, so, anyway, it is interesting to see that kind of dynamic in play. Yeah, take Louis C.K. for instance. I mean, Louis C.K. will does not seem really to have much of a filter, but he approaches it from a certain point of honesty. Mm-hmm. So he'll say something that's really offensive or really gross, but he approaches it in such an honesty where, he's, where he kind of says, this is what humor is, and I'm trying to make sense of it as well as you guys are. So. You know, I have to say that in uh, season two of Louie mm-hmm. that I, I nearly stopped watching because <laughs> one of his bits, his stand-up bits, was so offensive, yeah. and it's really, really hard to offend me. And I was like, I don't know, I can't get back on this. Uh, but thankfully I did because uh, it is a great show. But back to to uh, laughter and what's going on with the group dynamic. The researcher Robert Provine, who we mentioned, also found that laughter is 30 times more frequent in groups compared to private settings. So again, there's this idea that that's the feedback loop in place. And that's why there's a huge difference between watching a comedy by yourself in the quiet living room to watching it with... Uh, a loved one or a small group of friends versus watching it in, in amidst an audience that's like super into the movie or the improv show or what have you. And this is from our article, How Laughter Works. Uh, so studies have also found that dominant individuals, the boss, the tribal chief, or the family, family patriarch, use humor more than their subordinates. And that's where we get into some interesting social areas as well. Because neuropsychological and behavioral studies reveal that laughter can be more than just a spontaneous response to stimuli, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's not just a matter of tiger jumped out at me and I didn't die. But about two million years ago, we started developing willful control over our facial motor systems. So you can almost think of this as kind of a birth of deception and a birth of lies, almost kind of a Garden of Eden moment. Because... And certainly, as micro-expressions reveal, and you know, not everyone's a great liar, you can often tell the difference between fake laughter and real laughter. Mm-hmm. And the example that comes to mind is your boss makes a joke. What do you do? You laugh at that joke. That's, even if your boss is a great guy, and maybe even if, even if your boss is actually funny. Our boss is actually funny. Our boss is pretty hilarious, Yeah, he's actually. pretty hilarious. But I still find myself falling into fake laughter sometimes, and hopefully I'm pretty good at it and no one's noticed it. But we still find ourselves knowing when to laugh. Sometimes when I'm, I found myself doing this at the teachers' conference because I'm suddenly interacting with a lot of people that I haven't interacted before, mm-hmm. be it teachers or discovery uh, uh, personnel that were there with us, and I find myself falling into the pattern of using a little fake laughter sprinkled uh, in my conversation, you know, and just ah, you know, smiling and kind of laughing a little bit as part of the way that I'm communicating with them. That's interesting because some uh, I read that um, in order to try to gain control, social control over uh-huh. a situation, that the people who are trying to gain social control over it uh, tend to laugh more than the, the person who is listening. Yeah. So, you know, it's a way to engage people, right, and to get people to pay attention. 
um, using laughter. And as you as you had pointed out, this part of the brain is actually called the premotor cortical region, mm-hmm. and this is the region that's activated. And it is the part of the brain that is standing at the ready and listening to conversations and lighting up just before it begins to contort your your facial muscles to react to the situation. And, of course, we always have to bring up mirror neurons when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, Stephen Small, who is a professor in neurology and psychology, argues that the contagious nature of laughter is caused by mirror neurons, or he says brain cells that become active when an organism is watching an expression or behavior that they themselves can perform. And we've seen this again and again and again, um, so it's no surprise there that when you're watching another person laughing, you begin to mimic that, that you actually have those neurons in your brains that are saying, hey, laugh now, it's funny. Yes. Well, which comes right back around to the idea of laughter yoga, which I know you hate. Um. I don't know that I hate. <laughs> let me let me say, I have never taken, well, I've never meant to take a laughter yoga class. Right, but some yoga instructors Once, will sprinkle it yeah, in there. yeah. Uh, you know, I think for me, I was there for yoga, not for laughing. So perhaps I just wasn't in the right mindset, but mm. I hate the idea of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to explain this to anyone who hasn't uh, had any actual experience with uh, laughter yoga, this involves you being in a yoga classroom and the yoga instructor who's leading you in various physical uh, activities will also lead you in a bout of basically fake laughter where you'll the teacher will start going, ah, ha, 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 and everyone else has to join in with, ah, ha, ha, lots of fake laughter. But While what ha- you're in a pose, by the way. Sometimes, <laughs> I've, or it'll involve sort of hand gestures. Like there's one that we do in my yoga class called uh, laughter milkshake, where you have like a pretend milkshake, mm-hmm. and you move it from one mug to the other, and then you pour it on your head, and then you laugh really hard. Um, and it's it always ends with legitimate laughter, at least for me and uh, people I notice in the room. It starts fake, and then it becomes contagious, and it becomes authentic. It's true. It's one of those things, but it's the whole fake it till you make it, and you become it, right? So yeah. if you laugh even when you're faking it, you're going to actually start to laugh. Sometimes I'll throw in a little sardonic laughter, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I did to try to counter it, because <clears throat> it was driving me crazy. So I was like, ha, 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 ha. But that's interesting. The sardonic laughter is another um, interesting thing to bring up because what I don't know that anyone actually does it. I have, I, I guess, I'm just not around like s- severely evil individuals. But if it exists legitimately and not just in movies, and I don't know that anyone's ever actually uh, looked into this. If we have any evil listeners out there, maybe they can tell us. But if it exists, then it's an example of this social hijacking of the laugh of the use of laughter to where we're faking it, I guess, to belittle someone, or we're just unhinged, I guess, is the whole deal, that you find uh, humor in things that are not humorous, like taking over the world or, mm-hmm. or creating a robot-gorilla hybrid that will help you take over the world. It was just my way of saying, like, hey, I didn't sign up for the left <laughs> yoga class. I signed up for the regular regular yoga class. But what does all of this laughing do to us? What, what are the actual physical effects and the benefits. So the healing power of laughter. We, we've talked about a lot about what, what laughter is and some of the things that go on in the human body. So to what extent can it actually heal us? Well, okay, um, let's talk about what is happening at the physical level, right? Because yep. let's just lay this groundwork so we can see if there's a possibility that it could have some sort of long-term healing effects. When we laugh, our bodies respond really positively. There is a decrease in stress hormones of cortisol, 
adrenaline and dopac, and an increase in beta endorphins, which lower feelings of depression. Mm-hmm. And then human growth hormone um, also, which helps protect us against disease and infection. So it's not just the act of laughter that changes our body's chemistry because, you know, even the mere anticipation of laughing does this too. So if you see um, a funny movie or, or rather if you're on your way to go see a funny movie, mm-hmm. you're already primed. Your body is ready to go ahead and release those feel-good endorphins. Just on a, on a physical level, of course, you're, uh, the repeated forceful exhalations of breath that occur uh, it really gives your gives your lungs a workout, gives your the muscles of your diaphragm a workout. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of breathing and uh, and chest movements going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and laughter also prompts our bodies to produce more T cells and globulins, and this is where it becomes very important to our mm-hmm. immune system because what they found is that higher levels of an antibody called uh, salivary immunoglobulin A, when you laugh, this is released, and that is what fights infectious organisms entering into the respiratory tract. So that is what they found in the saliva of people, this increase of this antibody uh, for people who watched humorous videos. And the idea is that the benefits of this could actually be linked to longevity because people who uh, report a general feeling of happiness, and of course laughter would Mm -hmm help with that, tend to be healthier overall and live longer uh, rather than unhappy people. And there's a 2011 study that says that three out of uh, 3,800 people aged 52 to 75, they found that those who rated their happiness higher were significantly less likely to die in the following five years. Nice. so, you know, there you go. This is another reason to laugh. There's a great study that we ran across in uh, researching this, a 2012 Oxford University study. You're nodding your head. Yes. Okay. You're not laughing. I laughed when I read this this one because ba- basically this is what it consisted of. They had subjects watch videos, either funny ones or dry documentaries, mm-hmm. and then they were also tortured, <laughs> <laughs> which is to say they, were, they, they put their wrists or arms inside blood pressure cuffs mm-hmm. or frozen cooling sleeves. Um, yeah, we should say why they did this because because yes. you had mentioned the um, what ha- is happening physically, like you you know with your abdomen and the amount of air that you're inhaling and exhaling. They wanted to know if if laughing could be considered actual exercise, right. and we know that when we exercise, we we release endorphins, which help to manage pain. Right. So you need to inject a little pain into the scenario to see if the laughter is actually helping with it. And sure enough, in the experiments, pain thresholds did go up after people watched the funny videos, uh, but not after they viewed the factual documentaries. So, uh, I mean, belly laughter was also the key here, like full-blown, right. not just snickering a little at Ken Burns' hair uh, when you're watching <laughs> the documentary, but actual full-bodied laughter, like if you're watching Airplane or something. Yeah, that's right. They were looking at uh, the amount of contractions that yeah. their bellies were... Uh, doing. Which reminds me, I, it brings me back to um, Umberto Eco's Name of the Rose, because a lot of that book and, and the movie, which is also quite good, uh, deals with the nature of laughter and what the what the church's view on laughter is. And um, Brother William in the book brings up an example of a saint uh, well, who supposedly used laughter, employed laughter while being tortured and tricked one of his torturers into dipping his hand into the uh, boiling water that uh, he was immersed in. It made me think it's like, ah, oh, well, if you had a, maybe that's a way you could, to a certain extent, but not really, uh, counteract uh, torturous pain by just going into it with a sense of humor. Just tickling people instead of torturing them? No, no, no. I'm saying that while being tortured, if you found enough humor in the scenario, could you, you know, I guess you could conceivably reduce the level of pain. You could up your oh, pain right, threshold. Right, right. 
I, it wouldn't actually work, but it, <laughs> I can't help but, but go there with my mind. And you can't self-tickle. Right, so you can't self-tickle. That, that's a problem. Yeah, I, right. just, uh, I think David Eagleman was just talking about that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah it has to do with you know, like anticipation. and. Yeah, if you find someone who can self-tickle, they are faking it. Totally. Yeah, right. and they are weird for faking that to begin with. <laughs> There's probably a whole movement of self-ticklers out yeah. there. Um, so... Here's this idea that came out of that study, though, is that exercise and laughter could have the same benefits, right? This this rise in endorphins. So then it became, well, okay, if we know from laughing that uh, laughing is increased in a group situation, Mm -hmm. could endorphins be increased in an exercise situation? So I think it's interesting how they took one data set and tried to apply it to the the other I think it was a 2009 study. Yeah, it was 2009 study that Dunbar, same guy um, from the Laughing Experiment, and his colleagues studied a group of elite Oxford rowers, asking them to work out either on an isolated rowing machine separated from one another in a gym, mm-hmm. or on a machine that simulated full synchronized crew rowing. Um, and in that case, the rowers were exerting themselves in synchrony as a united group. And after they exercised together, the rowers' pain thresholds. And presumably their endorphin levels, right, mm-hmm. um, were significantly higher than they had been at the start, but also higher than when they rode alone. So even just thinking that you are participating in this group activity apparently helped in terms of the release of endorphins, which is very interesting. Which which brings back to the idea of going to a group exercise class, such as a group yoga class, I was about to where say, then you then also engage in group laughing. Right, I was going to say, and of course, all roads lead to lead to laughter yoga in this yes. case, because that is the culmination of of what we've described here. Yeah, the universe is saying, Julie Douglas, give in. It's not to the universe yoga. is not talking to me, and if it is, I'm insane. <laughs> Another quick study that I found was uh, one from researchers at Massachusetts General Hospital, and they found that patients use laughter to communicate emotionally with their psychotherapist, like using it a lot like an exclamation point at the end of a sentence, uh, and that laughing together also helps seal the bond. So I found that interesting as well in terms of not only physical healing but emotional healing. Uh, laughter ends up playing a role in therapy sessions, hmm. which uh, uh, the few times that I've, I've seen a therapist, I mean, I do remember laughing a little. Partially because I ended up accidentally going to a children's therapist and there was a sandbox full of toys in the room. She was great, but mm-hmm. there was a sandbox full of toys. Did made- she have a clown nose on? No, thank God. Okay. Just had to check. All right, well, uh, <clears throat> before we go to our mail, should we just listen to that clip one more time? Yeah, play the laugh one time. And actually, I encourage everyone to laugh. Try laughing with this man. Laugh aloud. If you're in the car, if you're out running, cycling, if you're alone in the truck, whatever. If you're on mass transit, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Just start laughing. Laugh with this man. All right, here we go. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. What do we have in the mail bag? Yes, yeah, so let me grab the mail. Uh, if the robot will be kind enough to bring it over. All right, here's one from our listener, Murphy. Murphy writes in and says, Aloha, Robert and Julie. I just finished the podcast about the Ordovician period. Blew my mind, naturally. Uh, but I am here to talk about the listener mail at the end about maps. One day, I was at a family friend's house when I saw a poster of a map that looked like this. And she included this image in its uh, 
it's basically the, the map of the world as we typically see it, mm-hmm. inverted. Yeah. Okay. It's a map of the world, only upside down from its traditional orientation. It got me thinking about how arbitrary north and south were and how easily our Earth could have eastern and western snow caps and orbited around the sun vertically rather than horizontally. It's all about the mapmaker's perspective and whatever sticks. On the topic of science fiction maps, I also came across this map. Somebody on the uh, Internet mapped out the location of all the Star Wars planets ever mentioned in the films, games, novels, and comic books. I think they call that the extended universe. There are quite a lot of them. Just thought you would appreciate that. And she also included this map, which is really awesome, includes all of these star systems uh, and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's one of the, the things we talked about in that episode, the creation of maps that spell out all the details of our fantasy settings as well as the bias of our, mm-hmm. of our maps regarding the world as it is or the world as we experience it and its effects on how we experience it. Because, again, you have that map of the, of the, of the world, and you basically have uh, the United States there in the center of it or, or right. Europe, or Western Europe the in the center is, of it. the idea is this is important. Yeah, this is the center of the map. This is the center of the, of the place in the world, in space. Uh, so thanks for uh, sending that to us, Murphy. Here's one from a listener by the name of Alberto from Puerto Rico. Alberto writes in and says, Hi, Julian Robert. I just finished listening to the three map podcast and remembered a weird high school experience I had with maps and wanted to share it with you. In a Puerto Rican history class, the teacher decided that the best thing we could do was make a lot of maps. The thing is that he had some weird map hypotheses. The first is that each map had a capital or central point, and that if it uh, didn't, the owner or user of the map was the main point of the map. Second, every representation of space was a map. So every representation of any space had a main point. The assignment required that I localize myself on, uh, on an ever bigger map, starting with our house. We had to do maps with a star of wh- for where I lived as a capital of our house, our mm-hmm. barrio, neighborhood reward, our town, our country, Puerto Rico, our area, Caribbean, um, our continent, our planet, and our solar system. I never understood the reasoning behind this, and he never made the connection between this exercise and the history of Puerto Rico. The rest of the assignments of the class were maps related, but were map related, but not so far away from the history as this one. Thank you for making my commute entertaining. Well, I think it's an interesting experiment that the uh, class engaged in because it was getting down to what is the nature of a map and what does it say about where I am on the map and where I position myself in the map. Well, I like it, too, because it gives kids the idea that they are citizens of the universe. Yeah. That, of course, this is the specific street that they live on, the specific neighborhood, the specific city, and so on, and keep going out. It's almost like the powers of 10, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I really like that one. Certainly, if any of you other listeners have any cool map experiences, map uh, activities from school like that, write in. We'd love to hear about them. But more importantly, if you have something about the healing power of laughter you would like to share... We'd love to hear any stories you have of, of how laughter has affected your physical healing or emotional healing during trying times in your in your life. Uh, if you are employed in the medical profession in any way, shape, or form, we'd also love to hear from you about y- your thoughts on the nature of humor. And if any of you are comedians, share it as well. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Tumblr. On both of those, we go by the name Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And on Twitter, we use the handle Blow the Mind. And you can drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. It's ready. Are you?